the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show i'm ram castillo and in this podcast i'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers creatives and giant thinkers G'day Giants, welcome to episode number 66. Our guest today is a 10-time world Muay Thai champion. He's a former Australian middleweight boxing champion, professional kickboxer, and owner of Boon Chu Gym located in the Gold Coast, Queensland. He was the runner-up on the Contender Asia and the first Australian to fight on the Thai King's birthday. For extra context, he started Taekwondo at the age of 11 before moving on to Muay Thai at the age of 13. He's grown a career from this passion, travels the world competing in professional matches, and all while running his gym. Now, aged 42, the passion has never worn off and he still fights professionally today. His mindset is to concentrate on your own strength, not your opponent's strength. Having fought in front of over 100,000 spectators, receiving 335 stitches to his face to date, and fought in 145 career fights, this man's drive is intoxicating. We learn how much of his outer strength comes from inner strength. Some of the topics we spoke about include what he believes is the winner's mindset, the importance of creativity in competition fighting, how to stay focused in a high-pressured environment, and his secret to his longevity of being an athlete. So if you're chasing your dreams, need a reminder of what's at stake, and want to grow your own self-belief, your self-discipline, and your own winner's mindset, then this is for you. Alrighty, let's dive straight in. I present the always smiling, dedicated, and humble, John Wayne Parr. John Wayne Parr, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, mate. I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Cheers for the invite. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, a good friend of mine actually recommended that I get in touch with you and some of the uh, listeners too when, when I kind of posted like who, who you guys want on the show. And uh, I'm glad uh, that they did because the moment that I entered your name on Google, it was just flooded with extraordinary achievements in your sport. So we'll, we'll get into that. But first off, John, I have an icebreaker question for you. Yes, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you could delegate one thing from your weekly routine that perhaps you haven't been able to, to delegate yet but would like to, what would it be and why? Ah, jeez. Um, I think everything's good. Uh, everything's been working so far for so long that, yeah, I wouldn't have to change anything. Stick to the same program, just keep doing what I'm doing, get as fit as possible, get as strong as possible, and keep smiling. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's good. Well, the, the reason why I ask that is because uh, you run a gym as well and, and you've uh, been a professional fighter for so long. Um, and even when I got in touch with you, you, you answered uh, through social media so quickly. You seem to be very hands-on with everything, but um, no, that's that's very telling of 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 the grit and grind that uh, that has led you to where you are. I think, but um, for for those that aren't aware of your background too much, uh, where would you say your expertise lies? Uh, so, it, the p- people that are familiar with the sport of Muay Thai, uh, it's it's a uh, it's very similar to kickboxing. Uh, we use uh, punches, kicks, knees, and elbows. Uh, it's, it's a traditional martial art from the, the country of Thailand. Um, so I was very fortunate to live in Thailand for five years. Um, yeah, I had approximately close to 40 fights in Thailand. And then all up, I've had 145 fights uh, all together with boxing and Muay Thai together. So, uh, yeah, my expertise is striking. Um, I've been very fortunate to, to travel over the world and, and represent Australia and, and very lucky to be successful. So uh, I've won 10 world titles in, in the sport. And I'm 42 years old and still striving to keep wanting to be the best. Uh, the the excitement of the sport hasn't worn off yet. I'm still excited about the sport as much as I am now, as I, as I was when I first started. So it's one of those things where I, I found the I found my passion, and I was very ha- lucky to turn my passion into a career. 
Amazing, mate. So, okay, there's a couple of ways we can slice this, but let's let's start with maybe your childhood and how you grew up. I think, of course, there, there is a there's that that growth phase when you're even four years old, let's say, where you're exposed to things that maybe other kids uh, haven't been. Or you know, let, let's kind of start there. How did you find that passion? Who, who kind of brought it to your attention? So uh, I was very infatuated with a TV show called Monkey Magic. Uh, as a martial, yeah, yeah. yeah, the one, yeah. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a martial arts show. The the the, the monkey, um, he had to defend the the Buddha. In martial art, he was fighting all the bad guys with his um, stick and bow, and doing, being really awesome, flying through there. And uh, I just had a from that moment on, um, sort of had a passion. And then rock and roll wrestling came on TV. Uh, Hulk Hogan, um, all these sort of guys, and it's like, oh wow, I'd love to fight in the ring one day. So. And then uh, not long after that, the movie Karate Kid came, and and it was about a young kid goes to a, a new town. He's a new kid, um, and then he has to adjust. And so that was sort of my life. I, I moved a lot as a kid. Uh, my parents were horse trainers, so I went to uh, eleven different schools. So I was, I was always the new guy. And then uh, uh, at the age of uh, eleven, we finally moved to Brisbane, and uh, there was a, a Taekwondo school that was only like five streets away from our house. And this was the first time that my parents um, gave me permission to, to go out at night by myself. And um, it was only a, a small bike ride from home to the gym and back again. Yeah, so I did that for about a year and a half. Fortunately, they couldn't make their rent, so they moved out. Um, so it was about six months there. I was sort of lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then it was just so fortunate that kickboxing came and moved into the, the same hall that the Taekwondo was at. So the the plan was I was just gonna I was gonna do this kickboxing until I found another Taekwondo school because Taekwondo was my life at that stage. Uh, I tried my first kickboxing class and from the very first class I thought this is amazing, this is what I want to do forever. So yeah, so it, it was amazing, it was very cool. And then um the movie Kickboxer came out not long after that and it it, it showed the a gentleman going to Thailand fighting the strongest ties and representing and. Um, being really successful. So from about 13 years old, I decided that I wanted to go to Thailand. I wanted to fight the scariest Thais. I didn't want to win a world title. I had to be in Thailand. I had to be the Thai for a world title. Otherwise, it wouldn't have wouldn't have been real. And then I'm very fortunate that over my career, I ended up winning two in Bangkok, not just one, but two. So I've had to live my dream twice. What makes you want to fight the scariest fighters in Thailand? <laughs> uh, to, to make it real. Yeah. So, no one can, so no one can question my career. Um, I can fight easy guys and, and pretend I'm a champion, or I can fight the hard guys, and then if I lose, at least I tried, and if I win, I'm a legend. So I, I, no, no one can discredit my career after all these years. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like a combination of all those movies that you described, um, perhaps your upbringing and, and, and any circumstances that your parents might have had, kind of... You're fighting for more than just your yourself, in a way. You're fighting for possibility and all those things as well. Being being the new kid, martial arts was my happy place. So every time we'd move to a new state or a new wherever, I'd have to um, I'd find a, a martial arts gym straight away so I could continue my training. So I might not have had friends at school, but at the same time, as soon as I started the, uh, at a new gym, um, it wouldn't take long before I'd have that community the martial arts community everyone had the same passion no matter where i went it was always train hard um do the best that you can um spar compete represent and then yeah you just have a a, it doesn't take long to have a bond with all the boys in and and it's such a nice culture too because uh even though it's fighting at the end of the day you don't you you train so you don't have to fight yeah so you have that ability i know what i can do i don't have to prove it to you because i know deep down I, i know i can beat you up but i don't want to beat you up so, but if if something does happen and um, you do want to make strife, at least I know I, I can punch you in the face. <laughs> oh, I totally get it. Uh, yeah. The, the 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 thing that comes to mind uh, for me, my background is Filipino origin. So my dad actually is a three dan black belt, and oh, beautiful, he, perfect. He, yeah, and he would he would. I mean, I I never got into it uh, to that degree by any means. I took a few classes, you know, when I when I was a kid. But the way my dad explained karate, uh, and he specifically did karate and judo, and he competed all across Philippines when he was, you know, from like 14 all the way up to his 20s, 
exactly what you said. You said something there about not needing to fight, but it is a, he said something about the discipline of control and restraint in who you are as a person. And it's amazing. You, you see all these people who, who are trained in martial arts. Many of them, I mean, you're definitely not one of them because you definitely can look quite scary. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, you got, you got some people you just don't know, right? You don't know how, how, how their uh, skill set is in, in that particular martial art. And um, it is more telling about the person rather than being loud and rowdy of being more uh, mindful. There's a sense of control and peace, isn't there, as well with the disciplines. I mean, let's go into that a bit. Well, how would you describe Muay Thai to someone that has zero knowledge of the sport? Um, how does it differ from other fighting styles? Like you mentioned um, Taekwondo, kickboxing, there's karate, judo, jiu-jitsu. Uh, yeah, it's very realistic. You're only wearing boxing gloves, a groin cup, and a mouthpiece. Um, so you, you'll add the same as traditional boxing. You can only punch on the waist up. Uh, but for the kicks, it's um, there's no shin pads. It's just uh, shin on whatever I strike. So whether it be your thigh, your arms, your biceps, your ribs, um, your sternum. Um, we can also hold the head and we can throw knees into the body, into the face. And then we can also throw elbows, which are very dangerous. Um, so, yeah, the, the elbows are super sharp. So usually if you make contact with the, with the face or on top of the head, you make a small um, cut. Or, so you can either win by points, knockout, or cuts. Um, depending on how severe the, the cuts are. So it's uh, very brutal. Uh, if, if you're familiar with UFC, it's everything you see in UFC when it comes to the stand-up. As soon as you go to the ground, you stop, you stand back up, and you start again. But when it comes to the striking, yeah, is, Muay Thai is probably the, one of the the main um, striking martial arts for the MMA. Yeah, definitely looks brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very... Uh, but uh, when you win, no matter how beat up you are, uh, when you win, the the pain goes away, and, or it's almost worth it. You're worth it's worth having a limp and a black eye for for a couple of days, and then people say, "Hey, what's, what happened to your eye?" Then you get to tell them the story. Ah, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I had a fight a couple of days ago. Oh, really? How'd you go? Oh, yeah, I won. And then the next minute, you're a hero to those people. So it, it's it's really cool. It comes back in tenfold. So it's definitely worth the the sacrifice and and the pain that you go through. And then now that I've had so many fights, my shins are super callous. So I can have a, a five-round fight against a, a, like a, a really strong tie and uh, not even feel my, my legs anymore pretty much. So back in the early days, I used to hurt a lot. Now the body's conditioned. Um, I've had x-rays on my forearms and my shins, and uh, I, no, I no longer have bone marrow in my forearms or my, or my shin bones. They're, they're solid bone all the way through just from all the trauma over the last 30 years. So in that respect, like I've got strong bones, so that's good. Jeez, I was going to say, well, you must be super conditioned and it must have taken you so long to get there. I mean, people bloody, including myself, get, you know, their shin tapped on a little short stool or a chair or something <laughs> yeah. and like hopping around for bloody five minutes going, yeah. you know, ouch, ouch, ouch. But so what, what do you mean there's no bone marrow in there? How, how, does, how does that work? It's pure bone now, just from all the... Um, yeah, getting all the kicks and, and, and the blocking. So when someone throws a kick, kick as hard as they can, I'll, I'll bring my leg up. So it's it's shin on shin to, to protect my body using my own shin. So uh, it, it's sore for a few days and it heals and calluses and then it's sore for a few days, heals and calluses. And now it's at the stage where they're just, uh, yeah, complete bone. It's really cool. Um, I asked my doctor, I said, oh, am I going to have problems later on in life? He goes, no, no, you'll be fine. It just means you've got super strong bones. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, so that, that, that part's cool. I'm like, I'm like Wolverine almost. Exactly, mate. Yeah. And then uh, so so with the with the elbows too. So if you get a get caught with an elbow, you might get a few stitches here or there. So in my 132 Muay Thai fights, uh, I've had um, 335 stitches in my face. Oh, there is a yeah. photo of you with that, right? And it's... oh, that's a that's a hypothetical. That that would be what it looked like if I happened to have all those oh, stitches at once. That wasn't real. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So that was that was my that was my idea. There, there was a famous hockey player who took the same photo. Um, he used to be a hockey player before they invented uh, helmets for hockey, and he was a goalkeeper. So he used to block a lot of the pucks with his face. So and then um, he did the same thing. And then when I seen that, it's like, oh my god, that's amazing. That's what I should do with my face. So yeah, and then uh, I was happy to lucky to go on a podcast with uh, Joe Rogan, and Joe Rogan shared it. 
from then on in, everyone, everyone's been messaging me, oh, my God, I seen when you got smashed. Uh, <laughs> you don't understand. It's all Photoshop. It's all, it's all hypothetical. Yeah. So for, for the listeners, if they want to see that, just Google yeah, uh, John Wayne Google Park. John Wayne Park scars. So you've had 335 stitches in the face. In the face, yeah. So say my, my first fight, I got eight. And then my second fight, I got two cuts where I got 21 stitches. And then my third time I got cut, I got five cuts and ended up with 54 stitches. So in within three or four fights, I've already had um, over 80-something stitches just through that alone. So And then you get another 20 here, another 10 there, another 15 here. So, yeah, so I've been keeping in track. So 335, yeah. Goodness me. But from a health and well-being point of view, you've been very, very good, haven't you? Your run rate of injuries and things that have stopped you from, from that point of view. A lot of people worry about um, CTE, about the, the brain damage and stuff. Yeah. But personally, I, I think it's I, I, I'm fine. Like I can count to purple now, no, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, you seem very alert. That's a joke for all the listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that Joe Rogan interview. It's a great interview, by the way, if people want to um, watch Jeez. that or listen to that. It's yeah, really, really cool. Joe's the man. Joe's so cool. I've been very lucky to be on his podcast twice. Yeah, twice. No, so so um, hopefully I've already talked to him about uh, a third time. So I'm currently on 99 wins right now. So as soon as I have my 100th win, um, I'll fly to the States and hopefully go on Joe's podcast again to celebrate. The milestone of winning 100, 100 fights. All right. So that's definitely established your expertise without, hey. without a doubt. Um, so tell us about your, your time in Thailand. How long were you there for? What was the, the context of all that? Yep. So um, I was very lucky to get sponsored at the age of 19 so to go and uh, live and train in Thailand for six months. So I went over there, went into the camp, had five fights for five wins, um, come back to Australia again. I'm not sure what to do with my life now. Uh, I, I wanted to be a fighter at the same time. I had to wait for something to pop up, so I was just doing dishes at my sponsor's restaurant. And then luckily the, the Thai camp rang the restaurant, and they asked him if they could send me back to Thailand again because they believed that I had a big future in the sport. So I went back to Thailand for a year this time. Uh, that year I had nine fights. Uh, I think it was nine fights for seven wins. And then... From there, well, we're going to work back for the, the full year. I got signed by Thailand's number one promoter, and then uh, he put me on he put me on all the big shows, um, fighting in front of 40,000, 60,000. There was even uh, on the 5th of December, they have a big event uh, for the king's birthday live in a, this big park in the middle of Bangkok where they get over 100,000 people to come to this park to celebrate the, the king's birthday. I got to be the first Australian to fight at Lumpini Stadium, the first Westerner to ever make the front cover of their national Muay Thai magazine in Thailand, the King's Birthday, like I mentioned before. And then at the end of 97, I won Strongest Westerner in Thailand for the year. That was amazing. And then uh, I came back to Australia again. The camp rang my, uh, Richard, my sponsor, once more, saying, hey, we've got John Wayne fights in Japan now. Can you please send him back? So I back for another year. Started fighting in Thailand and Japan, back, going backwards and forwards. Um, so I ended up fighting in Japan a total of 16 times. Yeah, so Thailand, Japan, and then the, the King's Birthday with 100,000 people, I did that four times. And then I, I won 99, 2000, 2001. And then, yeah, a lot of the media outlets, they were calling me the King's Champion. Every year I'd shine a little bit more than the year before. Uh, I got to have revenge, so that the gentleman that cut me 21 stitches in 97, I fought him again, year 2000, and, and, and I beat him every round for his world title in front of uh, 100,000 people live on Thai TV. Uh, so that was very surreal. And then the year 2004, I got offered to fight in, in this big tournament uh, in the middle of Bangkok where, it was, uh, where they have uh, – it's, it's called an eight-man tournament where you have to fight three times in approximately two hours. So I fought uh, a Russian – a French, and then I had to fight a tie in the final, and I ended up winning um, all three fights. So that the winner received a, a million baht, which worked out to be about 35,000 Australian, uh, a world title, and I won a trophy from the Prime Minister of Thailand at the time also. So And that and because that was the biggest show at the time, uh, every single media that was covering covering the event, so 
So every single newspaper and news outlet, would they all, yeah, share my profile everywhere to, to promote the, the winner. That really was um, an amazing experience to spend all those years in Thailand and to win this massive tournament and to be um, a Westerner that everybody recognises. Such a buzz, such an amazing uh, accomplishment to have Thais come up to me and ask me for my photo. And considering it's their sport and their country, and I'm the guy that's visiting, and I'm, I'm the guy they come up and ask me for a photo with, it just made it, it was so surreal. It was so cool. It was so cool to, uh, to hope for something, to work hard, and then to achieve it, and then to be celebrated for it. It was like the best dream you could ever have. It was amazing. Mate, congrats. That Even the way you were just walking through that story, it sounded like you, uh, you were reliving it again. Yeah, yeah I'm very, very proud. It's nice to be famous around the world. But to be famous in Thailand, that's all I've ever cared about since I was about 13 years old. Since the movie Kickbox came out, it's been my main main focus is um, to be a star, to be a star in Thailand. And so now my friends go to Thailand all the time. They go on train or they'll go catch a, a taxi somewhere. And they'll say, oh, you got an accent. Where are you from? Oh, from Australia. Oh, Australia. Do you know who John Wayne Parr is? <laughs> and then, uh, then people will message me, hey, everyone seems to know you over here. Or there's photos of you in their shop or... It's just so cool to, to reach the pinnacle. Well, you definitely uh, lived out that dream into reality and, and, and then some, mate. It reminds me of that movie. Uh, do you remember Bloodsport? With, oh, yes. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme? Mate, that, goodness me. You, you, yeah. You were doing yeah. that for, the, for, the, for this king. Yeah, um, it was crazy. <laughs> it was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, it's nothing that the, the first time I fought in, in front of 40,000 people was like, wow, a few people. Then the 60,000, that was crazy. And then when I did the 100,000, so I, I walked up onto the ring. And then as soon as you're on the ring, you're elevated above the crowd. And, and as far as you could see was just heads. Oh. And it was just like, this is bizarre. My, and then my legs went a little bit weak. And then it's just like, oh, this is crazy. And then uh, once the fight started, I tried to go too hard too early. I burned out a little bit. And got, um, I ended up gassing in the last round. Fell down a couple of times, and then which is a big point scorer in, in Muay Thai, and then um, I lost I lost the first one, and then 1999 I did the King's Birthday again, and this time I said I know I know the mistake that I made last time is I, I let the crowd get to me, this time I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna take a big breath and I'm gonna enjoy every single moment, so we walked out to the ring, and then um, just looking out seeing a hundred thousand people and just going, you know what this is amazing how many people get to do this. And then I had, ended up having the, the greatest fight they ever had. And then I came back the following year and I won the world title on the same show. And then 2001, when I did it, I was looking out and uh, over the crowd. And I swear there was probably only 99,000 people there. It's like there was, a, there was a little bit at the back that was seen to be missing. They could have squeezed a few more people in. It's like, damn, where is everybody? Well, I thought this was supposed to be a big event. There's only 99,000 instead of 100,000. This is this is terrible. <laughs> So it's amazing. It's amazing what you're going to custom your mind to to uh, to overcome hurdles. I mean, we we all see the fighters going. You know, the the whole thing of them going into the ring, and there's a when it's a a big fight like you described. There's there's so many people. There's whole media there, and all, all that whole thing, and and it, yep. it 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 really jeez you up. So what what do you do to manage your emotions, especially when you're coming into such a big fight in terms of your professional career, let alone, you know, wanting to entertain the fans and the king and, and all this. There's, a, there's all these other factors. But how, how do you manage your emotions and almost remove that feeling of what most people would feel, and, and I'm sure you do, but maybe you've prioritized it down the, down the bottom of the list, but, but feeling terrified? Yeah. So when I, when I first got to Thailand, well, once I started get, making a name for myself, um, I had to start fighting the A-class guys. And that, I'd only had 23 fights. Or tw- oh, 20, my, for my 23rd fight, I had to fight a guy that had under, over 300 fights. And he was a so-many-time champion. And he, he was my Tong Po. From, he, was like the, he was the scary guy. He was, he was the guy that was like no one wanted to fight almost. And then... Um, yeah, we got into the ring, and I was doing okay for the first round. And the second round, um, every time we got into the clinch, he'd start growling in my ear as you're throwing knees into my body. And I, I never heard anyone do that before. And then uh, every time I hit him, he'd slap his gloves together and, and call me on and then walk forward and try and smash me. 
then he then he cut me, and then uh, the fight was stopped in round three. Uh, and then I kept finding these hard guys, these really scary guys, and I'd, I'd, got to, I'd lose sleep and I'd get diarrhea and I'd lose my appetite. And then once I started, once usually nine times out of ten, I'd, I'd be so so afraid. Once the fight started, um, I'd do okay. I might not have won all the time, but at least I'd give them a really hard fight for the five rounds. And then it got to the stage where I, I learned to channel my emotions. So instead of being afraid and scared, and and letting letting my opponent become the boogeyman. So many times you lay in bed, and all right, this guy's too strong. He's too hard. He's he's. If I do this, he'll do that. And if I do that, he'll do this. And then once the fight started, it, nine times out of ten, it'd be a completely different fight than what you think it was going to be. I learned over the years that don't concentrate on your opponent's strength. Concentrate on your own strengths. Know that you've done the work in the gym, and rely on yourself. On whether um good positive state or freaking out crazy either way i still have to cross those ropes and and face my demon so i may as well go in there with a clear mind a happy mind a confident mind instead of um terrified mind and then once i started doing that and started not thinking of the boogeyman and concentrating on me my fighting career became a lot more enjoyable and plus it helps when you've you've had you fought all these hard guys before and you realize what's going on but before that yeah it was um it was very hard so now if I'm just fighting someone normal, yeah, I won't lose any sleep. If I'm fighting a superstar, then maybe uh, you, you tend to think about it a little bit more. But at the same time, you, when, you, when you start getting the, the, the negative thoughts, you, you change the channel and start thinking about washing your clothes or doing the dishes or vacuuming the house or something something to yeah, distract you. All right. We're going to revisit the uh, mental game a little later on. But um We'll wrap up the time in Thailand, but what would you say is the craziest thing you did there? Or was it was it fighting for the king that many times? Um, actually, there's a big water festival every year on the in April. It's the hottest time of the year, and it's um, the Thai New Year. So we celebrate New Year on the 31st of December, and then the Thais, they, they celebrate in April because of the water cycle. Uh, the whole country plays water fights. Um, the, all the shops close. Uh, if someone's riding in, in a, on a scooter, you can throw a bucket of water at them. If they, if they fall off their bike, that's their problem. Uh, you can if there was someone's wearing a suit, you can throw water on them, and they can't say anything because it's the water fight that time of year. It's it's so crazy. It's so cool. And then uh, so I had a, a fight the day before, had a win. So the next day we had a couple of whiskeys and we played all day and we we're playing all night. And then about maybe one or two in the morning, um, some guys splashed us. We splashed them back. And next minute, this big guy throws his bucket down on the ground. He storms up to me and my friend. Really? And he, he tells us, um, oh, if you wet me one more time, I'm going to kill kill both of you. So what? And then he's, and then he's like, uh, are you French? And then I probably shouldn't have said we because he made him really angry. <laughs> so anyway, he, he, he threw a kick into my body as hard as he could. So there was no getting out of it now. The time for talk was over, so I, I sort of rushed in with my hands. And I, I'd never been in a street fight before, so I threw a, I threw a kick at him, and I ended up falling over. And then uh, as I was on all ha- uh, hands and knees, I, I felt a donk on the back of my head. And then I've gone to stand up, and then blood just rushed all down my face and all over my clothes. And um, Yeah, the, 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 the guy that hit me ran away. My friend came up to me. He's like, oh, do you know what happened? Said, oh, the, the guy must have had a, a ring on with his, when he punched me in the back of the head. He goes, oh, he didn't get punched. He just got barstooled. I said, oh, great. No. Yeah, so I got, I got hit and then um, went to the hospital, ended up getting 14 stitches in the back of my head, oh. and it cost me 5000 baht, so, which is a lot of money back then because I didn't, didn't really have much. And then uh, we sent another Thai friend not long after, and he said, oh, I see you got bandage on the back of the head. What happened? I said, oh, I got barstooled last night. He goes, really? He goes, you know, if you get that guy arrested, you can you can get money off him. You can get the, uh, your money back. So, oh, really? So we went to the police station. We put in a report. Um, they said, if you find the guy, let us know and we'll, we'll arrest him. So we went back to the bar that, that he hit me in front of, and uh, sure enough, they were there. So we had him we had him arrested just because I needed I was out of money, so I needed my money back. And then, um, well, the big SWAT team came. They arrested the guy. Uh, and they, they asked me, they said, so what do you want? How much money do you want? 
So oh, I want I want my five thousand dollars, uh, five thousand baht back. Sorry. And they're like, okay, no worries. I said, oh look, we want to teach this gentleman a lesson for hitting you over the head. Uh, so we're going to keep him overnight. Um, come back in the morning. Oh yeah, okay that. So as we were leaving, one of the policemen tapped me on the shoulder and said, when you come back tomorrow, ask for ten thousand baht. So whoa, okay, yeah, sure, easy. So the next day we come back in the morning and they said, oh look, the, this guy doesn't have any money. He's got he gets uh, money transferred from uh from I think it was in Poland. He needs money to transfer overseas. Come back in the afternoon, and then another policeman tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh when you come back in the afternoon, ask for twenty thousand baht. Geez, okay, no worries. And then I came back in the afternoon and they said, Oh, look, this guy's been crying. He's still in his going out clothes from the night before. He's in a little cell sweating. He's hating life. He's willing to pay you 28,000 baht. So, oh, awesome. That's so cool. The guy paid the money. The police let the gentleman out of the cell, undid his handcuffs. They let him go. And then one of the other policemen, he said to me, Okay, I'll meet you downstairs in the toilet. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Oh, okay. So we got down, downstairs to the toilet area and the policeman said, um, today was my day off. I only came into work today to give you a hand with this guy because uh, you're, you look like a good kid. So you owe me 8,000 of that 28,000 baht. Okay, that's no problem. I can do that. So yeah, so I pulled, I um, got the 8,000 out of the 28 and gave it to the policeman. And then he politely asked me to to get out of there and don't say this to anyone. So that was that was my, that was a big lesson. That was that was how Thai system worked. I learned that very early. Don't do anything wrong and don't make the police mad because they they're their own police. <laughs> they're not different to Australia. Yeah, yeah, and it's the reality, isn't it? Welcome to a new country and welcome to the new culture. So you were there for what would you say, like ten years in total, back and forth? Going I know. Uh, I probably I'd probably say five. I was there. Four backwards and forwards, and then I was there for another year on and off. So three months here, two months there, three months there, yeah. two months here. So about five years all up. And then um, I've had a lot of ties come out. I've had a lot of trainers come out to Australia to give me a hand as well. So uh, and then my sponsor that, that owns the restaurant that sent me the tie, his tie as well. So every time I go to the shop, he's like, okay, don't don't speak English to me, otherwise you're gonna forget. So every time you come in, we're only, only gonna speak Thai. And then um, it's got to the stage. He's been sponsoring me for over 20 years, so we're not. It's not even sponsorship anymore. He, he calls all the people that come into the restaurant my son. This is my son. <laughs> they said he doesn't look like you. Ah, different mother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel very, very blessed. The name of my sponsor's restaurant is called Boonchu. So to thank him for for looking after me all those years, I called my gym Boonchu, and then translated, it roughly means um, blessed by the gods. So ever since I've taken on the Boonshu names, it feels like I've had this little angel on my shoulder that's helped me do everything I wanted to do and live every dream that I wanted to live. So it's uh, it's amazing that a complete stranger believed in me and backed me. And now now that we're all 20 years later, or 20, over 20 years later, and um, he, I thank him for everything, and he thanks me too. He says, I thank you, yeah, even, even though you've given me a name because his restaurant's famous now for sponsoring me and then there's photos all over me through the restaurant as well so people are coming as tourists and take photos of the walls and all the photos and we help each other it's amazing man the power of one person believing in you yeah it's crazy it's so cool um and and i'm a huge believer in the power of, of mentors and and how you're you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with and how your environment uh, and the places and the people that you hang out with really affect affect your uh your own standard yeah. so it sounds like you really excelled in those five years um so a bit of context and how old were you when you had your first fight how old were you around that time and, and so now you you said you're 42 years old so what's that what's that jump look like in terms of age uh so i had my i started competing in taekwondo when i was 11 and then i moved to kickboxing at 13 and then had my first kickboxing fight at 14 I had about 13 fights, and then the age of 19, Richard sponsored me to go and live in Thailand for, for that six months at the start. So from 19 onwards, yeah, been pretty much um, full-time, full-time. So, yeah, I, I like to consider myself a, a, a Thai and a white guy's body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So eat, 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 rice, eat rice for lunch and dinner every single day, and then a lot of the customs, a lot of the culture that stuck with me as well, so... 
Um, we don't believe in, especially the ties. They don't believe in touching other people's heads. And then we, they, you know, the why. So you put your hands together to say hello in a prayer motion. Um, so you can't hold anything below the waist. So undies, shop, uh, socks, shoes, thongs. You can't hold anything in your in your hand while you're greeting someone with your when you bow to them. Otherwise, it's considered filthy or, or disrespectful. So yeah, even though even though it's been Oh, I haven't been back to Thailand since 2010, and even since then, I, I still have the um, yeah the, the Asian culture stuck in me, and I can't get it out of it. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to change it for anything because I think it's amazing. You mentioned the food there. What were you eating? Were you very conscious of how your nutrition and diet was affecting your performance at that time when you were? In the early days of, you know, let's say early 20s, were you a bit more intentful with what you fed your body for fuel and that type of thing? The tires are just, uh, everything's fresh. So so every single day, a pickup truck would come around the block and then you'd only buy your groceries from for that day. So everything would be fresh vegetables, fresh uh, either meats or fish or uh, whatever food you needed just, just for that day. And then... um. You, you cook it up, so everything, no, everything's fresh. Everything's everything's clean, clean rice, clean veggies, clean meat. And then the next day, when the you comes along, you, you buy the fresh groceries again. So yeah, it's um, they believe in eat as much as you can for energy because you're going to be working very hard next day. You burn it all off straight away. But yeah, and then when we lose weight, we'd have to lose up to to ten kilos wearing sweatsuits. Um, and then because Thailand's about forty degrees every single day. Um, you run for an hour and it'd be easy to, to drop um, four or five kilos just in sweat from wearing these plastic suits around, around as you run around the neighborhood. So, yeah, that part sucked. That part was terrible. That's the worst part about fighting is cutting the weight. But uh, everything else besides that was, um, yeah, amazing. So you were, you were eating fresh food at least. Um, yes. Were, were you educating yourself or how, how did you position what you ate as in that list of priority of, of being the best you could be, um, you would train, you know, hours on end. Um, but what, what did the perception of food and diet, um, look like to you? Or were you like, look, I don't really have much luxury in choice, so I'll just eat whatever. Yes. Yeah. Because you're living in, uh, in that Muay Thai community, you, there's maybe five or six other boxes that you – so when I – at night time, I, I, I was sleeping on a wooden floor with no bed, and then you sleep side by side with all the other boxes like a like a dorm, and then you you wake up, you train, and then uh, the, the mother of the camp, she used to cook all the food, and then Asian style, you'd have four or five dishes in the middle, then everyone would sit around in a circle on the floor um, with cross-legged, and everyone gets a plate of rice, and then everyone goes one spoonful at a time of the meat or the or the whatever dishes in, in the center. Um, just so you're not being greedy. Everyone's one spoonful at a time, one spoonful at a time. Um, and then yeah, whatever whatever you get dished up, that's that's your diet. So there's no there's no specific. Oh, okay, I'm gonna have salad. I'm gonna do this or that. You just got to eat what you're given. Otherwise, you're gonna starve. And I didn't really know much about nutrition back then either. So all I knew was. Um, Eat, train, sleep, eat, train, sleep. I didn't matter what I was eating. As long as I was full, I didn't care. As long as I had energy. So what are you eating now, would you say? Are you a bit more uh Yeah, measured? a lot more conscious about yeah. what, what I'm putting in my mouth these days. Uh, a lot more seafood. Um, I went and seen a dietitian about 10 years ago. and uh, So seafood, uh, imagine a pie graph. It's a third seafood, a third vegetables or um, uh, salads, or and then the other third carbs. So seafood, carbs, veggies, and then uh, and then portion size too. So you want to eat till you're content, not till you're full. And over over a ten week period, it'd be it'd be easy between the diet and the training to lose to lose ten, twelve, fourteen kilos, no problem. Wow. So so the the easiest the the sum it up easily. If you if you sweat three, eat two. If you sweat two, eat one and a half. And there's no other choice but the weight has to come off. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of eating, sweating three and eating four, yeah, you you sort of it, it sucks because you're always hungry. But at the same time, you want to be content that you got enough energy to get through your sessions. 
So the worst part about fighting is uh, as the fight gets closer, you're training harder, but you're eating less. So the workload to energy load is com- complete opposite spectrum. <laughs> so it's, it's very tough. It's very hard mentally because you you always feel like you're running on empty, but at the same time, you have to push out the rounds if you want to be strong. Reminds me of bodybuilders too, hey, when it comes to just uh, dropping oh, weight. And w- just... Worse, worse, because we've got to compete. They they got to look pretty, but we have to actually go out there and fight for. It's like a, a fifteen minute fifteen minute sprint. So and, then, and if you don't have the gas tank, you don't. Last thing you want to do is get out there and um, uh, they call it when your legs die. So you all of a sudden you're jumping around, all of a sudden your feet feel like they're stuck in the mud, and you got some guy in front of you that wants to try and knock you out. It's, it's not good. It's not a not a happy place to be. You you have all these ideas in your head what you want to do, but when your body can't. Uh, deliver those promises, then you're in a whole world of trouble. Yeah, I, I think on um on that Joe Rogan interview, you actually said that you were um you were preparing by doing ten to twelve kilometers per day, just running. Um, a total of a hundred kilometers per week was your goal, and then over ten weeks, you'd run a thousand kilometers plus nine rounds every day on the bags. Yeah, yeah. So twelve twelve kilometers in the morning. And then another seven kilometers in the afternoon. So it was ended up being 19 kilometers a day. Oh, wow. And then times five days a week, times 10 weeks. Yeah, so it was, all, it was almost 1,000 kilometers. And then that's that's before the other stuff. That's just the warm-up. That's just your warm-up before you get into the, the bags and pads and sparring. And, uh, but then you're ready in the change room. As you're walking out, you don't have to question yourself. You know you've done all the work. And then you know from the first round, you can go crazy until the, the final belt. So... Yeah, you put yourself in the worst situation possible. And then if it's an easy fight and you happen to land a good shot and the guy goes down, perfect. But if the guy is a killer and he's going to stand there for the whole time throwing straight back, you need to have that fuel. Otherwise, yeah, once you gas, there's no there's no coming back. It's not like boxing. I, I used to box, box professionally as well. I had um, 13 pro fights. I, I boxed 12 rounds four times. And the last time I fought 12 rounds, boxing about – Three weeks later, I had a, a five-round Muay Thai fight. And I thought I was fit. I just done 12 rounds of boxing. I was like, yeah, I'll right. be fine. Yeah. And then uh, the Muay Thai fight, there was no second win. Once you hit once you hit the wall, there's no um, – yeah, you're, you're so gone. You're just a sitting duck. So it's it's very important that you do all those rounds and do all the work in the gym. So uh, come fight time, yeah, you, there's no – you don't want to get hurt because getting hurt is terrible. Favorite favorite exercise that comes to mind, mate? When it comes to preparing oh, I like yourself, running. just running. Running's yeah. Running's good. But running's good. Pads are good. Sparring's fun. Um, everything. I I like the whole thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I love every single aspect of the whole the whole game. So at forty two, you've you've you're still competing. How many fights have you had professionally? Would you say roughly up until now? Uh, all up, yeah, yeah. The 145, 145 with my boxing and my Muay Thai. 145. Now, when you look back, and, and I mean, let's just put that into context for a minute. That's that's a that's a shit ton of fights. Um, yeah. <laughs> for, for any fighting uh, discipline or, or, or combat sport, um, when you look back, what was the most challenging fight? Would you say, and and why? Mm. I, I was on a reality TV show in Singapore called the Contender Asia. Yeah, you were in the Contender uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had to live in a house, a warehouse for eight weeks, and then I won. I won three fights. So as soon as if you win, you stay. If you lose, you'd have to go home straight away. So I won the three fights there, and then we had, there was a six month break, and then we we had a live final. So by the time they edited the show and they aired the show. And then by the time the final was on, uh, everybody knew the characters, everybody knew the storylines. So when it comes to the final, we had uh, 10,000 people uh, live in a stadium in Singapore. And then it was televised to 130 countries. I think it was close to like 500 million viewers or something. It was, it was crazy. Um, so and, and in the final, I had to fight uh, probably the scariest Thai um, in this generation, in this era, uh, and unfortunately, he really wanted the the money. <laughs> so he was so strong. Um, he ended up knocking me down in the first round, knocked me down again in the second round, uh, cut me in the third, cut me again in the fourth, Jeez. and then uh, I so I ended up going to the, the, the decision. 
Um, so even though even though I got like beat up and bloodied and cut, uh, I didn't give him an inch. I made him work every single second for the whole time. So I lost the fight, but I won the war. Uh, as I as I gained a whole bunch of uh, fans just from my uh, never die spirit, which was, which was really cool. Um, yeah, so it's it's a fight that yeah, even though I lost, I, I'm I'm very proud of it. Amazing. What was the name of that guy? He sounds. Yeah, his name's Judson Gray. So we fought three times. So I fought him when he was 20 years old and the current Lumpini champion or the Thailand champion. And then the second time we fought was the Contender Asia final. And then a year later, I fought him again in Melbourne. And this time I, I was lucky to beat him um, on split points in a, in a super very close fight. But it was enough to, to, to for the judges to give it to my, my way. So, so yeah, 2-1. Two, 2-1 one, two, one on the scoreboard. Wow. What would you point to, uh, John, as your top reason for longevity as an athlete? Passion. You've got to have the passion. You've got to, you've got to have that passion. That, so when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to, don't have to hate what you're doing. Um, I wake up, I have a coffee, and then I can't wait to get my shoes on and go for a run. Even after all these years, I'm still excited to, to do the, the same track that I've been doing for the last 18 years here in Australia. Uh, well, 90 years now. Um, I, I'm very lucky to live in Burley Heads, so I get to run on the pathway next to the beach uh, every single day or twice a day. Um, so it's a it's such a beautiful every every single day is like a new postcard. But depending on what, on what the sun's doing or what the lighting's doing or how many tourists are on the on the footpath at the same time, it's uh it's so much fun. And then it's yeah, it's just uh you got to have the passion. If if it if it becomes a man, mundane or if it's a yeah if you don't see the rewards future future rewards if you, if you get not going to put the hours in um, you're not going to get what you want to achieve so you really have to um, want it more than you want to breathe. That's so true, man. Because uh, there's 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 passion, but then there's so many people these days, especially when it comes to the age of. Um, instant gratification you know our devices obviously don't help us <laughs> with our impatience but um you know it does require work work as you said yeah so my 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 life goal is a uh, legacy I, I know that i'm not going to be around forever and one day i'm eventually i'm going to pass but i, I want to know that when i pass that uh, my my legacy will live forever uh my my kids grandkids their great grandkids uh I want to be remembered. I want to not not waste my time while I was here. I want to be that guy that people can still look back at my fights and still draw motivation from. My imagination is I it's like climbing Everest. I want to climb so high that no one can follow on my footsteps. You once said, actually, I remember um, online, you said something like, don't fight for the glory. It's not about collecting gold. It's about building memories, stories of overcoming adversity. Pass those stories on to your kids. Uh, or inspire someone else, um, and then and then jokingly on Twitter you said, "Of course, fight for the gold. It looks cool on the show." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 really powerful to know what you're fighting for, and and I think um, it's important for all of us, especially the 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 listeners and myself, to to remember why we do what we do, um, and and what's what's at stake because th- there's a lot at stake, right? There's there's a very very high price to pay, especially what what you're doing. You're putting your health, your body, your your future, your you know everything on the line, you know. Um, and it's it's important to understand that exchange. Um, let's touch on the mental game again for a real quick minute. Um, there was a quote that I read. Uh, I forgot who said it, but something about fifty percent of matches are won off the court, and it was referring to the mental preparation mental framing side of of being an athlete how do you prepare mentally long term you know what's the self-talk like what's the internal dialogue uh months away versus an hour before the fight yeah uh so uh, just like i was saying before being self-confident being believing in yourself uh, i know that on the ring i'm only one punch away from changing changing the the tide of the fight so I, I could be losing the the first four rounds. Now I've got three minutes left on the clock to to either knock this guy out or lose. Um, and, and I'll do my best to try and knock him out, of course. But at the same time, uh, if, even if I do lose, 
as long as I know that I've given 100% and you're beating you're beaten by the the better guy in the day, I, I can still live with myself. If I think it's too hard and I take a knee and I don't get back up when I know that I could, then that nightmare is going to live with me forever. And I don't want that to to become a habit. If someone if you do that once then all of a sudden they can do it again and again and again and then it's just too easy. It's too easy of a way out where I want to be that guy that no matter how much I've been hurt, I'll still get to my feet. I'll do my best to get to my feet unless it's really, really crazy. Um, but I don't want to question myself. I don't want to have to look lay on my pillow at the end of the night and just question my career. Why am I doing this? If I've given up once, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't. I don't want that to stick. I don't. I don't want. I want to know that. All right, I got hurt. I got. I didn't win, but I gave it every single ounce of energy, and then I have no regrets. I just was beaten by the better guy. That's, that, there's no other. There's no other question about it. And then, um, yeah. And then, if I can get a rematch with that guy, maybe I'll be better that day. And then he might. He might have had the flu leading up, or there might have been something. Um, That'll not make him perform at 100 percent, and where I might be on. Yeah, it's all minuscule, but the, 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 especially in my sport, the littlest things can make the biggest difference. Yeah, oh, man, I love I love what you said about the the habit. Like, if I get down now, and if I if I train myself to not get up, then then I'll then it's too easy. I think that that's really powerful. Um, if you, if you have, especially with the day of social media, everyone wants to be the nice guy. So if someone has a loss, and everyone's, every, you'll get fifty people online going, "Oh, don't worry about it, mate. Don't worry about it, mate." And then that person starts getting comfortable. Oh, even though I lost, I didn't lose any fans. Everyone still supports me. And then when they get into that situation again, there's no repercussion. They think if they lose, everyone's still going to have their back. Where if people, the reality is, sure people are nice to you online, but deep down you're now considered a loser because you lost Agreed. so you mm. yeah you, you don't want to be a loser you only want to strive for greatness so i, I don't want to be that guy that has to have people give me sympathy i, I want i want the in fighting sports the simplest thing is people say how'd you go how'd you go on your fight as soon as you say you win conversations over everyone's like oh cool that's awesome and then they go on to the next subject and then they said oh how'd you go on your fight oh i lost but and then you got a, a five-minute explanation of what went wrong and everything else, and everyone's turned off. As soon as you said you've lost, in their eyes, okay, you lost. You're a loser. So it's better to go out there and win. So it's just that one word. How'd you go? I won. Conversation done, and you're a champion. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And and you've just given a bit of in, insight into the champion's mindset there, um, especially with, with you said a few minutes ago about your – you know, you're always thinking that you're one punch away of changing the tide of the fight. I think that's beautiful, man. I think, I think we're one one punch away of changing the tide of our entire destiny, man. You know, exactly, exactly. Um, it's powerful stuff. Um, where would you say creativity comes in uh, with fight, with competition fighting? You know, is it developing a, a style? Is it not doing the same thing all the time in order to be unpredictable round by round? You know, when when we come to you, you use the word imagination before, and you know you're really projecting the vision. But when it comes to yeah, being being creative, developing a a, a style, or maybe doing something that isn't so um, so predictable, how important is that really? You know, to kind of go in and 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 make make it your own. So with, with my pad holding, so what happens is the gentleman will hold the pads in the afternoon or, or in the morning, and then he'll read my body language. So I, I'm my own boss. I'll, I'll throw the combination, and then majority of the time, my pad will be there to catch whatever I throw. If I go punch, kick, knee, elbow, he'll be there for everything. Just uh, He'll feed off my energy. Uh, and then that way I'm not pre-programmed. Instead of, instead of someone going, okay, left, left, right, in, I, I do everything by myself, and then and then just rely on my paddle to, to 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 be there. So then I can create my own combinations without having been pre-programmed by someone else. So every single day I'm trying to throw at least three or four things new. So you can imagine I've got eight weapons: uh, two fists, two feet, two knees, two elbows. And then the the amount of possibilities that I can create from just just those eight weapons is uh, endless. 
So today I might go left jab, right kick. Tomorrow I might go left jab, two right kicks. Tomorrow I might go left jab, one right kick, one left kick. And then so I'm constantly evolving. So I'm trying to, no matter what situation I'm in, to be able to adapt. So I might not land with the right, but I'll come through and land with the left. Um, and then, oh yeah, and keeping everything spontaneous and with strength and power. So that no matter what combination I've thrown, I've thrown it already a million times in the gym. So I know that I can throw it with full velocity uh, and that's going to be very detrimental to your health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love that, love that. All right, uh, John, a few more questions for you. Um, this one I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time and uh, for, for 30 seconds and speak to junior John, perhaps the youngster uh, finishing, finishing school, what, what would you tell him? Don't take your eyes off the prize. Mm-hmm. Keep chasing the dream. Don't let anyone defer you from what you're doing. Um, I, I already pro- told myself that when I was little anyway. I wasn't work wasn't gonna get in the way of my living my dream. Girls weren't getting in the way. Partying wasn't gonna get, get in my work. I uh, get in the way. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna make sure that no matter what happened, no regrets. I was I was gonna live this life to the force. Even if I didn't have money, I, I was willing to live on the street or or eat food out of bins or sleep on a sleep on the ground just to just to give this a hundred percent with no questions asked, uh, no regrets. So and then um, I, I was very fortunate to that's what happened and then I was I was lucky to be that one percent that made it so um, but yeah my fully focus from from like I was saying from the early ages I was going to be a world champion in Thailand no matter what I didn't care how it was going to happen but it was going to happen. You're definitely the the real deal. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Uh, you mentioned Richard. Um, it, uh, and, and and is there anyone else that also was the person that inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? Yes, uh, there's a gentleman in Holland who was a, a famous Thai boxer. He was the first Westerner to go to Thailand and actually beat the Thais. His name was Raymond Dickers. Um, a lot of his fights are on YouTube. If you ever get the opportunity to, to go on YouTube, uh, yeah, he was not only beating the Thais but knocking them out back in the. Uh, late 80s, early 90s, no one could beat the Thais. They had this aura about them that they were invincible. And then there was a lot of pride for the country too because back then um, Thais couldn't lose to Westerners. Otherwise, they were, it was an insult to the country, their family, to the king. So they, they, they could not lose. And then he was going over there and um, yeah, beating them in such devastating fashion. He soon became like an, an overnight sensation where the whole country would stop uh, restaurants would stop serving food while Raymond fought on TV. Uh, the whole country would stop and watch the TV when Raymond fought. Uh, so he inspired me. He was the one that showed me that, okay, these guys can be beaten with hard work and the right mindset. Anything, you, we, we can we can fight them just like they fight us. Um, and then uh, I was very lucky to, to meet him um, multiple times. And then we ended up being really good friends and, until he ended up passing away, I think, age 44. And I died of a um, heart attack in, in the middle of a park in Holland. Oh um, even though he was fit and strong and a fighter and everything else, uh, I guess he wasn't keeping up with his typical um, checkups. And yeah, yeah, it just it spontaneously had a bit of a heart condition and then yeah, passed in a park. So. But but to this day, uh, it's still looking up on YouTube and still um, – inspired hopefully one day walk in his footsteps and, and be great just like he he was wow yeah R- ramon decker with a double k uh the the diamond the diamond yes the diamond eight-time world uh muay thai champion Good yes yeah, he, was, he was the king and um and then the, your your first sponsor uh richard <laughs> yeah richard that's cool. Uh, so, John, what's next for you with everything you're involved in uh, for the rest of the year and beyond? Yeah, uh, so I've got a three-fight contract with a company called Bellator, which is an MMA company, uh, but they also do kickboxing shows. So I'm just waiting for um, a, a date for a next fight. Uh, until then, I'll keep training at the gym. Uh, I, I do classes. I do private lessons. I've been very lucky to, to tour the world, teaching seminars on, on fighting as well. Uh, last weekend, I was, I was just in Abu Dhabi teaching the national Muay Thai team over there, which was really cool. Uh, I, yeah, so it was a 24-hour flight. 
I had to teach a one-hour seminar, <laughs> and then it was a 24-hour flight home, which was crazy. Wow. But um, yeah, get to see get to see the world for for free. So, so when you get a fight, for instance, let's say the fight's in Japan, mm. um, the promoter will ring up and I'll say, "Okay, John, we want you to ring. I want you to fight this guy on this date at this weight, and we'll give you this much money." And they pay for your airfare, your accommodation. Um, you usually get fight, uh, uh, food money as well. So there's no reason why you have to put your hand in your pocket the whole time that you're there. Um, you get to fight in front of – in Japan, we, we had crowds of close to 40,000 people every event. And then we had a, a TV audience in Japan at 20 million. Um, so you're walking down the street and then in the hotels, we'd have fans that would stay in the foyer of the hotels. Every time the lift, lift would open, um, all the fans would run to the lift and try and get a photo or a signature. Or, uh, because they're doing documentaries on the fighter as well, a lot of the um, uh, people knew your backstory, so they knew if you had a family. So people would come and um, give me gifts for my kids. Oh, look, here's a whole bag of Hello Kitty dolls and dresses. And um, One guy, I, I seen him on the street. Uh, he dropped to his knees and started crying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I picked him up and gave, I picked him up and gave him a hug. I said, "Oh, what's wrong?" Because I was coming to the hotel to try and see you, and I, I'm meeting you in the street right now. I've come to give you this watch, and he digs into his pocket and pulls out this brand new watch. And I wanted to give you this as a gift so you could remember me. Wow, and it's wow. like, yeah, oh, that's amazing. Give us a hug. And then he started crying more because he gave him a hug. It's like, damn, stop crying already. So yeah, the the fans in Japan are they're fascinating. They're so they're so crazy. And then, so you're a superstar when you go overseas. You jump on the plane, you come back home, and as soon as I go back to Australia, I just blend in with the crowd. No, <laughs> hardly anyone knows who I am uh, in Thailand and overseas. I'm a, I'm sort of a big deal, but in Australia, it, just another person on the street. It's really weird. It's it's cool because you don't get hassled. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine anything worse. And um, a friend of mine, I, I train a gentleman called George St. Pierre in Canada. Um, and he, he couldn't go down the street or go to a restaurant without getting just smashed by photos and um, people wanting just to do dumb crap. Like, uh, oh, can you can you pick me up? Everyone that I meet famous, I get them to pick me up and put me over their shoulder. or Just just, just like the most craziest requests. Or, or people have their phones out and then they'll try and videotape you. And you can see them playing as day trying to record you as well. Um, so I'm lucky I'm not that guy thank goodness yeah. I'm lucky that uh, in Australia I just people come up and say day, maybe a couple times a day but I don't have the stalkers like the other international people do so so it's good to escape Australia's nice we've got, we've got so many stars here they don't really care about the fighters which is good well mate I um I definitely think more more uh, Aussies and Americans are going to know know you more after this episode. That's for sure. Uh, that, that's oh, very, the, that's cool. the big chunk of the uh, the demographic. But um, but mate, I'm I'm so glad to have been able to, to chat with you. Um, how can listeners get in touch with you online? Uh, so my Instagram is John Wayne Parr. Um, so I pre warn you though, it's either fighting or really bad jokes. <laughs> and, nine times, nine, and when I say really bad, I mean they're really bad. But uh, uh, I'm uh, in between fighting and, and wanting to hurt people. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm I like laughing. I like enjoying myself. I like having a good time. So and uh, hopefully that shows through my my social media presence. Man, I was gonna say when I watched your videos, I you were smiling ear to ear most of the time. I'm like. This yeah, is good. I enjoy I enjoy my job. I, I consider I consider punching people in the face a community service <laughs> because at least at least there's there's a probably at least ten people in the whole world that wants to punch my opponent in the face. So it's my community service to punch them for them. That's so I've learned over the years that people won't punch them punch themselves in the face. So it's my job to punch them for them. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're a family man too. So there you go. Yeah, um, I got a, my wife's American. My wife's from Cali, from oh, California. Yeah, she was a fighter so, too, wasn't she? Yeah, she had fifty fights, two world titles. Uh, so her dad's four Mexican, and then mum's half German, half Norwegian. Wow. And then and then she's American, born and bred. And then the, my kids are, jeez, I don't even know what my kids are. They're just <laughs> yeah, they're just little little bits and pieces of everything. Yeah. They, How they, old they got are they the best now? of it. I got a, a 15, a 10, and a 4. Oh, wow. So my 15 year old had 22 fights. Um, she's been lucky to fight in Canada, Thailand, and England. And my son's, he's only had seven fights. 
And then my my four year old, she wants to be the dancer. It's wow. like, jeez, bloody <laughs> hell! Yeah, really, really, you really want to be a dancer? Are you yeah. really going to let down the family tradition? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it looks like you've kept no. two, two out of three in the family. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm just joking. I, I, my little daughter's cool. She's 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 my daddy's girl, so she can be whatever she wants to be. She can be a little fairy if she wants to be. I'll be the. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched The Rock with his um, little girl on on Instagram, and it's so so cool to see. So, uh, I'm I'm very much the same. I turned from a big tough guy to a melted butter when she when she wants me to do something, she has me wrapped around a little finger. That's fantastic. Look, I I'm filled with so much uh, joy, inspiration, um, fulfillment from this conversation. Thank you so much for hey, no worries. Um, you are definitely leaving a, a powerful legacy. You know, the guy that went was crying in Japan on his knees giving you a watch. That was um yeah. <laughs> that's just testament to the many, many things that you, you you do when you impact people by not just the fights, but the way that you you prepare for the fights and the the, the example that you set. You know, you run a gym as well. You're a family man. You know, there's so many layers to 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 you as a person. Um, so, man, I'm I'm so stoked to have to have chatted with someone like you of, of your thank caliber. You, so, thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, there's a big big thing with fighters now with the the Conor McGregor era where everyone thinks you have to be a, a loud mouth to to get recognised. Um, but I'm very fortunate through my social media that uh, I'm just I'm just one of the boys that enjoys what I do. Um, I'm, I'm not bigger than anyone. Uh, I'll speak to the janitor as just as much as I'll speak to the to the prime minister. Um, I have time for every single person. I don't consider myself a, a, a anything special. I'm just I just enjoy what I do. So um, yeah, I'm very very lucky. And if my if my passion can can come through to other people, so they can follow their passion, then my time on here on earth is is not wasted i've achieved something thank you brother thank you so much hey easy and go and go and chase their dreams their dreams are going to chase itself go and chase it thank you for tuning in giants i hope john has given you a broadened perspective and plenty of inspiration please share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you think it would benefit them since 2015 this is what drives my personal mission for the podcast i try to interview the world's best experts for all of us to learn from as you all know i'm a massive advocate for designing better designers the more designers we have the more problem solvers we have too you can forward giantthinkers.com to anyone and it'll take them right to it. Also, the Giant Thinkers podcast is now available on Spotify. So if that's more convenient for you to listen to, every single episode appears on Spotify too. Now, a quick teaser for our next guest. He's a contemporary Cuban-American artist and portrait painter, best known for his syncretism, a term he coined in 2011 to describe paintings where he presents two or more art tendencies in aesthetic balance. One publication describes his drawings and paintings as reminiscent of a Renaissance master. Stay tuned for that one in a few weeks. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a DM via my handle, the giant thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from John who said, you're one punch away from changing the tide of the fight. 